Hey, really good friends. This podcast contains adult content and language. Listen with care. Hello. And welcome. To Historically Really Good Friends. A queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. And everyone, here we are. Last episode of season two. Rachel, my hands are sweating because (laughs) not only is it the last episode of season two, but I guess I'll just say it. Just come right out with it, I guess. Just go for it. This is also the last like full episode story episode of Historically Really Good Friends. It is. I don't know if you are cheering out there or sad. (laughs) I don't know what you're feeling. I think we're feeling bittersweet, but there will be Mm -hmm. more announcements to come in our final episode 50. So please listen to this one and stick around Mm -hmm. for our little wrap up. Yeah, next week we'll post a little final wrap up episode, episode 50, a little conclusion. A historically really goodbye, if you will. Yes, we will. Absolutely. (laughs) We won't leave you hanging. No, no. But some of most, I think this is going to come as a surprise to most of you. So surprise. 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 Again, I don't know if this is a good surprise or a bad surprise, but it's a surprise. It's a surprise. Yeah, we'll get into more of it next week uh, as we dive into our thoughts and feelings and everything about the podcast but in the meantime we're here for this week we're here in episode 49 yet to be titled how are you I'm ready to party. I'm ready for episode 49. Whoa, I'm ready to go. A party. A party. I say that knowing that I very much almost fell asleep on my car ride home today. That's not good. It wasn't good at all. I was like, wake up, wake up. Have <laughs> you ever had have you ever had those drives where you're like blasting cold air or like fully just like yes. hey eyeballs yes get like, with it come come let's uh, singing music like yes, i'm like yes. hum, blasting music like, come on you need to stay awake yes i've yes, had those yes. drives and they're scary yeah so i was on my way home and i was like gotta get home but then we have a party to record the pod we have a party to record the we podcast do have a that party doesn't to make record. sense <laughs> but I was like, okay, it's going to be a party when we record the podcast. And here we are. The lights are, people can't see it, but the disco ball's going, the neon lights are flashing, the DJ in the background. That was the DJ. And the crowd's going, ah, the crowd goes wild for the DJ playing his set. It's a really big venue. It's a really big venue. It is. You can tell, but we're on location here. Reporting live, (laughs) coming to you live from Coachella. Right, that's it. How are you doing, Jared? I'm I'm good. It's warm today. It's oh, you know what? Actually, it's the day we're recording. It's our one year anniversary of historically (gasps) really good friends, which is is a great time to be recording. But in the beginning, I don't know if you remember, and I don't want to give too many behind the scenes deets away before next week's episode. But in the beginning, as we were recording in the summer, Mm -hmm. it would be so hot and we would have to close all of our windows, turn off all of our AC and Mm -hmm. just kind of like suffer and we would be sweating and like just gross. And so today is kind of like that. And I'm like, of course, our last 
real big episode that we're recording is like we're back to the beginning again it's like hot i'm sweating the fans are going hopefully you can't hear them the ac was going like what is happening yeah i can hear them but it is very reminiscent of our early days which i guess we are still a baby podcast Mm -hmm. despite wrapping up things but I do remember those days when it was just like we were really trying to give you all the best quality Mm -hmm. that we could but without (laughs) without buying higher quality recording software yes we were working smarter not harder Exactly. We were just going to uh, give ourselves heat stroke yeah. instead. <laughs> yeah. Also, we were, I don't know if we were working smarter. We were definitely working very hard to try to We were to working be smart. cheaper. Yeah. We were working cheaper, cheaper. And, and harder. Yeah. <laughs> it was the worst of all worlds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But we hope that you enjoyed those episodes nonetheless. Yeah. Oh, please go back and re-listen a few times just to make it worth it. Please. <laughs> begging you but other than that i'm good i'm have a great story for us this week and i'm excited for that and i don't know there's not much else going on on my end it's like a weird it's you're in a lull yeah february lull yeah i mean you and our famous friend of the pod brielle will be out in la in we will two weeks exactly from today when we're recording Yes, and I'm so excited. And if any listeners have like, I know Jared lives in LA, but if any of you have suggestions of things to do, let us know because we are in the market for like a fun time. Yeah. And I, even though I live here, I feel like people are like, what's there to do in LA? And I'm like, nothing. There's nothing to do. But that's (laughs) just like simply not true. But it's just because I live here. I don't think of all of the yeah I'm like I don't know go on a walk with Ranger my dog I I don't know but I am don't tell Ranger this because we don't want it to inflate his ego he's right behind me so well you can't let him know but I am the most excited for like a walk with Ranger in some nice California sun in the afternoon because it is bleak out here in the northeast um it's like rainy and icky and so I'm very much ready for some California weather yeah I mean I was gonna say tell the people you're in a full winter jacket right now if I am I am L.L. Bean if this is my dad's jacket from about 1987 I mean you're rocking Um, it It looks good it goes with the decor behind you thank you i can't it's cold it's definitely cold Mm -hmm. and i can't show you right now because there's a cat on my lap Mm. um but i wore a a sweater today i could show you the sweater okay and a new pair of pants and the sweater Mm -hmm. absolutely clung to the pants so now there is it looks like a whole new set. The pants are black. It looks like a tan pants because the sweater <gasps> was like like rubbed off so much. Oh my god! Like got all its lint on my pants. So now this brand new pair of pants that I got at the outlets, by the way, love oh, a good I outlet love shopping. The outlets. Me too. At the outlets, it's just it's kind of ruined now. Well, yeah, you just have to buy one of those like really strong pet lint rollers now. Mm-hmm. Oh, you you bring the pants out. Use use my lint rollers when you come. Perfect. We'll get I the will hair do that. right out. I will do that. Mm-hmm. I will put them in my limited space carry-on and it will <laughs> just, be worth it. Just to lint roll. Exactly. Yeah. We need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think to solve to solve this problem. There is no That'd other be great. solution. That would be really great. But yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to come out here. At that point, we'll have been wrapped up here, so 
we'll need to make sure that we continue talking post post podcast. We will. You all <laughs> are not holding us accountable. So honestly, right. Jared and I just might never speak again. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> no, that would be horrible. That's oh, my worst God. nightmare. Okay. But could it come true? This maybe. podcast happened. So no, maybe anything could happen. Anything, <laughs> anything is possible. Could happen. The world of possibilities out there. Speaking of this podcast happening. Yeah, I think we should <laughs> speak of this one happening. Let's, let's continue with let's this continue one. Let's continue this podcast happening by okay. moving into the very last story of Historically Really Good Friends, our last official Historically Really Good Friend. I am so ready and I'm going to miss your transitions, but tell me who is our last, saving the best for last, maybe. Oh boy. Oh. Who is our last historically really good friend? Okay, well, this was an absolute struggle choosing someone because I knew that I was going to be closing us out with stories and, Mm -hmm. you know, wanted to pick someone that was good and would kind of sum up our podcast and just be worth it and and not be a letdown. I was like, should I somehow connect it back to the beginning? Should I do an event? Mm -hmm. Should I do a concept? And I ended up deciding to tell you about a person and we always talk about people in history because that's what this Mm -hmm. podcast is it's a queer history podcast for those who don't know (laughs) and it's always in history whether that's the distant or the near past but we never really cover people that are still living you know we have covered a few people that are still living in a in a few different episodes but mm-hmm. usually it's people that are deceased and gone and sometimes mm-hmm. really really long gone but today i want to talk about someone who's working on a large scale to make some real change in modern day so i love it today we're talking about menvendra singo hill a living indian prince and possibly the first openly gay prince the world has ever seen <gasps> I am thrilled. You made an excellent choice. I cannot wait. Good. Okay. So you're going to have to wait a little bit longer because I need to go over some sources. So the sources I used for the story are Pride and Prejudice, Indian Royal Menvendra Singo Hill on Being the World's First Openly Gay Prince by Andrew Bullock, an article for Town and Country by Emily Burrick, which has a title that gives a lot away, a People.com <laughs> article by Stephanie Pettit, same thing, Meet the World's First Openly Gay Prince Menvendra Singo Hill by Alfred Took, Menvendra's Wikipedia page, and LGBT History in India Wikipedia page. Okay. All right. Sources out of the way. Let's get into a few different things. Because... Okay. One of the interesting things about this podcast is you have to be able to contextualize everything Mm -hmm. you're talking about. And so a lot of the time, I know nothing about the subject or where the subject comes from. And so in this case, I know nothing about queer history in India. I know nothing about what queerness is like in India. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the history, then we'll move into Manvendra, and then kind of talk about his story, some more context, move into the future of everything it'll be a good time. Stick with me. All There's right. just going to be a lot of dates and numbers and you'll just have to that trust good. that I'm... It'll be like real history. Maybe. We'll see. Okay. No All right. We'll see. As usual, right. no promises. <laughs> so, queer history in India is incredibly fascinating. Because there's evidence of same-sex sex acts as far back as 500 BCE, 
in the Hindu epic Ramayana and is written about positively in the 200s when the Kama Sutra is written. But homosexuality is made illegal in the 1500s and further criminalized during the colonization periods of the Portuguese in the 1500s and the British in the 1800s. However, during the French colonization period, which happens in and kind of like around the 1700s, so sandwiched in between the Portuguese and the British, we see a decriminalization of homosexuality in a southeastern territory. So we see sort of a flip-flopping of like hot takes on homosexuality throughout different parts of India throughout like essentially all of history. Right. Now, flash forward to the late 1940s when we have the Republic of India, which is when India becomes independent. And mm-hmm. about 20 years later, Manvendra Singh Gohil is born in September of 1965 in a city called Ajmer. Twelve years later, in 1977, India would see the first official publication on the study of homosexuality. So the India that Manvendra is born into Mm -hmm. isn't welcoming or really knowledgeable on queerness as a whole. Manvendra is born into the Gohil dynasty to the Maharana and Maharani of Rajpipla as the 39th direct descendant to the throne. Wow. The term Maharana means ruler or king, with India having over 600 princely states on the eve of its independence in 1947. Okay. All of this is to say that Manvendra is born into this royal family, a very mm-hmm. traditional and conservative royal family, and is the prince to this title Maharana of Rajpipla. Mm-hmm. However, in 1971, so six years after he's born, the government of India de-recognizes Indian princes. So Manvendra loses his official title, and Manvendra's father also loses the official title of Maharana or Maharaja, and the Mm -hmm. royal allowance that comes with it. So now all titles are more honorary than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like the royal family still holds a certain level of influence and power because of their last names and lineages, but they're not officially recognized by the government. Okay, so like potentially just like within the caste system, they're exactly like very high up, like the top, right? But they do not have any other like power politically, governmentally, civically, whatever. Not officially. Again, they have a lot of influence, so I think right, it doesn't change Right. right a lot. But again, the government's like. Great. We're still a government and you guys are families, your people that live here. (laughs) Sure, sure. We are not a monarchy. Right. Right. So at the age of six, Manvendra's family converts their family seat, the Rajvant Palace in Rajpipla, into a tourist resort and location for film shooting. Mm. Though, despite the changing government, this isn't a family, like I was saying, that just like becomes commoners they don't lose all of their money they remain financially sound and live well this is a family that's known for living in luxury throwing parties having 100 servants driving fancy cars building railroads like all of the things that Mm -hmm. just normal people with normal money can't do right this is also a royal family with an influential lineage that dates back all the way to the 6th century. So when they officially lose their titles, they continue living with these slight adjustments 
kind of as if nothing has changed. And the people of these towns and cities continue to respect and honor the royal families and their titles. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm saying all of this to drive home the fact that Manvendra is born into a very traditional family and way of life Mm -hmm. in India. He's born into a system that had been working for generations and generations of his family. Right, right. I'm sure this is going to come back later. Mm -hmm. It's going to come back very soon. (laughs) So like many royal families of the time, and especially European royal families, Menvendra is essentially raised by a governess. He kind of rarely sees his parents, Mm. doesn't really interact with them much, and he doesn't really have that many friends. He has one sister, but it's not like he's interacting with just like the kids of the village. He's kind of on his own. Menvendra would later recall that he grew so attached to his governess that around the age of 10, he was so confused about who his mother was. And Mm -hmm. when he realizes that his governess, the mother who nurtured him, was essentially just an employee of the family and not his mother, he really struggles with this newfound truth. So there's a disconnect with him and his parents kind of right from the beginning. Right. And then moving forward, a lot of his interactions with his parents were often when his parents would criticize him. For example, the prince is left-handed, but because many of the family's religious rituals are designed to be performed with the right hand, they sent him off to a doctor to try and make him right-handed. And the doctors have to explain that being left-handed is completely normal and fine and like that trying to change their son over small differences such as this is just going to cause quote serious mental issues yeah and like it's yeah that's just impossible and like even if you tried to write with your other hand it would be sloppy and he probably couldn't do his schoolwork. that's weird i've never heard of that before and it's like he's he's left-handed like right like who cares just do the ritual in the left hand what what is the big deal about right. it but it what right that's the but whole it thing is, is a like, big deal right they're so traditional everything is done a very certain way right. so when he's like i'm left-handed they're like mm, no wrong no, no. yeah wrong <laughs> no you're not <laughs> hey, wrongo so then around the age of 12 and kind of all while growing up manvendra realizes he has feelings for other boys and men that are around him but he can't quite understand them because of this traditional conservative upbringing meaning as he would explain homosocial behavior is widely accepted in india in different Mm -hmm. places there are restrictions for only men and only women Mm -hmm. and so he grows up with like only male workers looking after him besides his governess and taking care of him he's hanging out with only men men are seen hugging but then you see this PDA, right? This public display of affection between Mm -hmm. a man and a woman, and people look at them like they're doing something really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I never consider that because I definitely saw that. Like, even in the airports, like when you go through security, there are different lines for men and women to go through and things like that. So I imagine that, yeah, you are probably surrounded by people, you know, of the same sex and gender. And then Unless you're married, I guess. Do you have those types of relationships outside of that? Right. But then even then he speaks on that the affection in public just really isn't, you you know, it's not like you're going around holding hands and kissing and doing it. It's not really accepted. And so he really struggles to wrap his head around his feelings. Like, is this normal? Am I gay? What are these feelings so sudden and new? I felt the moments <laughs> right. I laid eyes on you. My head is rushing, my pulse is reeling. Anywho, 
So Manvendra <laughs> struggles with his sexuality growing up. And mm. in 1991, being the traditional parents that they are, the Maharana and Maharani enter Manvendra into an arranged marriage to a princess. Mm. And this is really where he begins to understand and learn about his sexuality and begin to come right. to terms with it. He thinks by entering this marriage, everything would fix itself. He would become normal. He would be at peace. However, right. the marriage, which only lasts about a year before they divorce, is actually never consummated. Mm. Minvendra calls the marriage a total disaster and a total failure. And realizing his sexuality was not just going to change and that there was nothing wrong with him, he realizes, quote, I had done something very wrong. Now two people were suffering instead of one. Mm. Far from becoming normal, my life was more miserable, end quote. Mm. That's so upsetting to hear. And also difficult because, yes, two people now have like unsatisfying lives, but mm -hmm. also one person shouldn't have that either. Like in that quote, he's <laughs> right. like, I should have just been miserable on my own. Like, right, no. but right. Nobody should have to suffer and everybody should be open. But yeah, but the reality of the situation is like he likely would have been right. feeling pressure from his family to not be alone and may not have been able to come out or may not have been able to be in the relationships he wanted to be in. So the reality is that probably would have been the case. Right, and I have heard plenty of stories where men enter relationships being like oh it's just i feel this way now but once i get a girlfriend once i get a wife like things mm -hmm. are going to change and it's just going to be normal but then they don't realize right. till they're in it so he probably enters this marriage being like yeah okay whatever fine i'm gonna finally be like a normal right. man and then he gets right. in and he's like oh fuck that's not how that works right it's like those tiktoks if you've ever seen of like the mega church pastors who are like i used to be gay and <laughs> i am not gay anymore they're like, like yelling at an audience of <laughs> people okay. so yeah. like that was i guess the the goal was just like a forced kind of conversion right which spoiler alert doesn't work, doesn't work. <laughs> so the two end up divorcing after a year of marriage, and for the next decade, Manvendra declines any marriage requests that he receives. Then, there are sort of two monumental moments in Manvendra's life, and I'm trying to hit the important part so I don't talk forever. So this is where like <laughs> the dates are really going to come in. So okay. the first one happens in 2002, and the second one happens in 2006. Mm-hmm. So in 2002, Manvendra essentially suffers what he calls on the press calls a complete nervous breakdown. He cites the immense pressure of being part of the royal family, especially being in the royal family, but being in this metaphorical closet as the main source of his breakdown. Mm -hmm. His role and his family's role for the villagers of his town is to be role models for them. Right. They always have eyes on them. So hiding his sexuality from his parents, his family, the people that look up to him, it all just comes to a head and he can't really take it anymore. And so he's hospitalized. However, mm. his parents at the time don't know what for. Right. And so in the hospital, Manvendra confides in the psychiatrists that the reason for his admittance in actuality is that he's gay and has been attracted to men for years and decades at this point. He's wow. about 37. And so upon his approval, Manvendra's psychiatrist is actually the one who tells his parents that Manvendra is gay. And mm. this Wikipedia page for Manvendra is 
interesting because it says that when his parents find out they quote accepted the truth end quote which is like very much not the case that's also so vague they're just like cool all right i accept that right. uh, moving on but it's like for every single point we've heard about them being traditional and by the books and especially india at this time it's right what do you mean they accepted it like it's just simply right. not simply because not i'm what sure I'm sure he also knows, like, every individual knows better than anyone else their mm-hmm. level of safety and risk right. when, you know, sharing with people around them. So I'm sure if he did not feel comfortable to the point of having a physical and, like, cognitive reaction to this, that, like, no, I'm sure they weren't just, like, cool, cool. beans. Right. <laughs> All's good. That's, Come on that's home, son. Sick. Yeah, yeah, love you so much. <laughs> love you, my boy. And that doesn't seem to jive with everything, like you said, everything that we've heard so far. Yeah, simply not. So upon finding out about Manvendra's sexuality, their first course of action is twofold. First, nobody outside of this very tiny group can know about his sexuality. Second, his parents insist he be carted away to doctors, spiritual guides, and electric shock therapy sessions. His parents approach doctors to operate on his brain to make him straight. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the next four years straight from 2002 to 2006, Menvendra is subjected to conversion therapy in many different forms, all with the goal of his parents trying to change what they thought was a disease. Oh my gosh. And it's these treatments these quote-unquote treatments Mm -hmm. that leave manvendra feeling incredibly depressed traumatized and even suicidal yeah and despite their efforts which they tried quite hard (laughs) like we talked about this doesn't work and even a lot of the doctors and guides that they approach explain to his parents that their son's sexuality isn't a disorder isn't a disease isn't a Mm -hmm. mental illness and it's not something that you could just like change or expunge right one doctor warned them quote you can spend all the money you want on this but nothing will change end quote thank god someone's at least like not just going along with it not just saying like Mm -hmm. yeah i'll take your money and like right i'll do whatever they're at least saying like this is i mean it would be great if they use their medical judgment to say we're not gonna do this but But, i mean i guess it's good that they said something about it (laughs) right and again it was only a few i think it was like one or two people but the rest were kind of like yeah we'll do these things yeah of course we'll do these sessions we'll definitely try everything so there were a lot of doctors and medical professionals and spiritual guides that were like yes we will do this right and according to manvendra quote they thought it was impossible that i could be gay because my cultural upbringing had been so rich they had no Mm -hmm. idea that there's no connection between someone's sexuality and their upbringing end quote right right And so the family doesn't accept it, but they sort of bury it. Mm -hmm. They want to keep it under wraps because in 2006, homosexuality is illegal. Mm -hmm. So it's like still very much not a safe nor accepted thing to be happening. So they're like, nobody can know. This is our secret. Like you will continue to keep it a secret. You will stay in the closet. You'll do all these things. However, in 2006, Manvendra went against what his parents had in mind, keeping his sexuality under wraps, and instead revealed his sexuality and publicly came out to a newspaper reporter who approached him. Wow. So Manvendra confides in this reporter about his sexuality and the mental stress he was going through as a closeted gay man. And when the article comes out in March of 2006, the story makes headlines, not only in India, but across the world. 
And although he feels emotional relief upon the story's publication, it also comes with a lot of backlash from both his family and friends, but also the mm-hmm. people in Rajpipla and across India. Right. So effigies of him are burned in the streets by villagers. Holy shit. He's publicly heckled. His family accuses him of dishonoring the family. His mother even takes out an advertisement in the newspaper officially disowning the prince and (gasps) even threatens to sue anyone who dares to refer to Manvendra as her son. He recalls the day by saying, quote, There were a lot of protests. People took to the streets and shouted slogans saying that I brought shame and humiliation to the royal family and to the culture of India. There were death threats and demands that I be stripped of my title, end quote. So going back to that Wikipedia article, mm-hmm. um, not accepting. <laughs> just, no. Just like kind of the opposite Yeah, of I'm like, accepting. can someone change that? Just like, like literally rejecting him publicly yes, yes, in a newspaper. Yes, Mr. Wikipedia, please change that. <laughs> please, someone. Please fix that, Wikipedia family. It's like they are the most horrible to him that they yes. can be. It's awful to hear. Interestingly enough, though, Manvendra recalls that while there were so many people against him, he actually found a lot of elders, such as his paternal grandmother and a senior citizens association, congratulating him on separate occasions. So the Senior Citizens Association writes him a letter congratulating him for taking the step, not necessarily because he's gay, but because, quote, he spoke the truth. Mm -hmm. And so... It's interesting, and his paternal grandmother on her deathbed says something along the lines of, like, I'm proud of you, or like, I'm congratulations. So it's interesting that a lot of this older generation is the one that's like, right. congrats, like, More, you're doing a good right. thing. Good for right. you. And so it's people like this, these far and few in between positive reactions that cause Minvendra to turn the backlash into determination to change the cultural mindset of India to being more open and accepting of queerness. Mm -hmm. So after the newspaper article is published, he's unshackled from this guilt and this secret, and he begins living more openly and helping others to do the same. I should, I guess, tell you this bit of information Mm -hmm. that before he's even publicly open about his sexuality in the year 2000 manvendra begins lakshya trust a community-based organization dedicated to hiv aids awareness education and prevention among gay bisexual and other men who have sex with men and so the lakshya trust provides counseling services clinics to treat STIs, has libraries, and even promotes condom use and healthy sexual practices. They even train female field workers to educate women married to men who have sex with men about safe sex practices as well. And the trust specifically creates employment opportunities for queer people. And this is in the year 2000. This is before he's even publicly coming out. So he's beginning his work with queer people and queer rights Mm -hmm. and queer sexual health before any of this even comes out right 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 but once he comes out in 2006 he continues his work now in a more public setting joining the interim governing board of the asia pacific coalition on male sexual health which is a regional coalition of men who have sex with men and hiv community-based organizations manvendra 
having received this worldwide recognition when he comes out, is even invited onto the Oprah Winfrey show. So in 2007 or so, Manvendra appears as a guest in the segment Gaze Around the World, in which Oprah interviews various queer people about their experiences and how their countries deal with queerness. And remind you, queerness isn't something that's accepted in the U.S. at this point either. I don't Mm -hmm. want it to seem like I'm being like, oh, India can't, you know, get shit together. India can't (laughs) wrap its head around. It's like, no, the U.S. and like the entire world is very much behind on acceptance. So this episode that Oprah does is really important. Oprah's bringing queerness into every home in the U.S., normalizing it and basically showing that there's queerness everywhere in the world. Like, you're not alone if you're watching in your small town and feel like there's nobody else like you. It's a trifecta. And so if Manvendra is a prince, I would say Mm. that Oprah is the queen. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like that? And and would you expect that I was gonna talk about Oprah in the story? I was not expecting it at all, but you know what? There I should always be expecting a twist and turn and an Oprah appearance because if we made a whole year-long podcast and Oprah did not come up, that I mean I basically impossible. It would have been the worst thing that could happen. And so Manvendra goes on to appear on Oprah multiple times in 2011, 2014, and 2017. Wow. Does Oprah still have a show in 2017? I guess, apparently. Apparently she does. I don't know. Apparently. Apparently. And apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So now back to some cultural context. Then in 2009, portions of section 377 introduced in 1860 outlining criminal offenses and punishments for being gay engaging in same-sex sex acts and so on and so forth are finally found to be in direct violation of fundamental rights provided by the indian constitution 149 years after it's first introduced wow it took you long enough Woo, 149 years that's like what are you doing? In those I, like we're years? just like, oh, if it ain't broke, don't it. fix it. Literally, it's fine. And now this 2009 decision, though, only applies to gay sex, really. So mm. they're not saying like being gay is fine, but they're like, if you're t- two consensual adults having sex, like it kind of goes against your fundamental rights to like do what you want with you with, with not your body. Do what you cause... want, what you want with your body. Yeah, they're kind of saying like, do what you want. I. I just want to comment because we've talked mm-hmm. about, you know, sodomy laws and mm-hmm. these kind of laws around sex pretty often on the show. But like, I, why did anyone think that was a good idea? Like, I get it if you had a moral op. I don't get it. But assuming you have a you had a moral opposition mm-hmm. to gay people or queer queerness in general. Mm-hmm. But like, what? Wh- how do you enforce that? How do you enforce that law? Uh, well, you know what? It was under, I believe, uh, British colonization that this law came about. Sure, sure. And they had the Buggery Act. Um, and right. so I think it was more of... Just like an extension of their... Yeah, evade, um, invading privacy and, you know, getting tips about 
people being gay and okay. just arresting okay, them just without. Like, so just like snitches or just yep. like you you seem gay to me, mm-hmm. so I'm going to – okay. Or like we're going gotcha. to wait for two men to enter a house and then we're going to bust in and catch you in the mm. act and jail you for like 10 years or whatever it was. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So that that, that was my question. I okay. just never found them quite practical. No, I, no, I don't either. Amongst but, other issues with that. Sure, sure. <laughs> so they're basically saying in this 2009 decision that we can't punish you because you're engaging in consensual gay sex. Okay. However, many religious groups protest to have Section 377 reinstated, which then begins protests against the reinstatement of Section 377. So we have these two... Two large forces protesting this political ticket item, which actually pushes political figures to begin showing support for the decriminalization of being queer. So mm-hmm. we're starting to see more public and positive vocal opinions about being queer and LGBTQ rights in India in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then flash forward to 2017, 2018, the Supreme Court of India begins to tackle the issues surrounding sexuality, the right to privacy, and queerness in general. Mm -hmm. And the court calls for equality and condemns discrimination, stating that the protection of sexual orientation lies at the core of fundamental rights and that furthermore, the rights of LGBTQ plus population are real and founded on constitutional doctrine. Wow. So in September of 2018, The Supreme Court of India rules unanimously by all five judges that Section 377 is unconstitutional, quote, insofar as it criminalizes consensual sexual conduct between adults of the same sex, end quote. And from there on, homosexuality is made legal in India. Amazing. 2018? I mean... All right, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take what we can get. The U.S. was 2015. I mean, three years. It, yeah, in the grand scheme right, of things, feels right. like not a lot. Right. I, I would like to say that Section 377 still exists with uh, other sections, other portions of it, with like people, right. you know, bestiality and like pedophiles and things like that. They they were sure. all kind of classified in the same. Of course they doctrine, were because right. Why wouldn't which they is be fucked up in its own right? So it still exists out there, but being queer is technically legal at this point. Okay. It's shaky, but it's legal. Okay, so now that we have all of that knowledge, back to Manvendra. In 2009, Manvendra is featured in a BBC television series, Undercover Princes, which documents his search for a British boyfriend in Brighton. And Manvendra has a quote somewhere, I believe I say it in a little bit, that he has plenty of fun in Brighton after he first comes out, like sleeping around and kind of just like mm-hmm. living his best life. But then in 2013, Menvendra marries an American man named DeAndre Richardson. And as Menvendra's Wikipedia page describes DeAndre, um, quote, a Macy's cosmetics employee for origins hailing from Albany, Oregon and living in Seattle, end quote. And First of all, I love Origins, and I love going to Macy's to get my Origins products. You would really <laughs> like DeAndre then. I really would. Although between you and me and everybody listening, and don't tell him I say this, DeAndre's vibe is a little... I just don't know if I would ever trust that man. Like, something feels off about his photos. <laughs> something feels bit. shaky about it? Okay. Yeah, he's like a, a white man um, named DeAndre, and he wears a turban, and just feels very um, i can't tell where the lines need to be drawn but 
but they're but the lines are not in place. No, so they should be somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but the two get happily married and are still together to this day. So I guess that's what is most important. Amazing. Manvendra described their relationship as quote We weren't instantly romantically involved. I had my fun after coming out. I went to Brighton and slept with men, but DeAndre and I fell in love. End quote. And so the two of them move back to India, and in 2018, when homosexuality is made legal, the prince actually transforms and opens his ancestral home, his palace, as the first of its kind LGBTQIA plus community center to financially and socially empower the community. And so it seems that his relationship with his parents is like kind of mended in terms that he's still a prince and he still has like this inheritance essentially, but him and his parents haven't really come to a mutual understanding of his sexuality, but he still Mm -hmm. has this palace that he's built structures onto and built rooms and boarding and he's, he's building basically a refuge. He's still able to operate under like the family name. It seems like. Absolutely. And so as Manvendra says, quote, people still face a lot of pressure from their families when they come out being forced to marry or thrown out of their homes. They often have nowhere to go, no means to support themselves, end quote. And so his home serves as, like I said, a refuge for at-risk queer Indians, and he's actively working to help and give back to his community the way his family didn't quite do. Mm -hmm. And now, despite there being progress for queer people in India, conversion therapy is still not illegal i mean it's not illegal in the uk either Mm -hmm. like it's still legal in many places around the world Mm -hmm. many queer indians are subjected to this horrible treatment as their families try to change them which is actually leading to increased rates of depression and death by suicide Mm -hmm. amongst queer youth Mm -hmm. and so this is what manvendra is fighting back against so fervently nowadays Quote, it's important for people like me who have a certain reputation in society to continue the advocacy. We can't just stop because the country repealed Section 377. Now we have to fight for issues like same-sex marriage, right to inheritance, right to adoption. It's a never-ending cycle. I have to keep fighting. End quote. And I'll finish up by leaving us with one final quote from Envendra about his work moving forward and things that we can all strive for to help future queer generations succeed. Mm -hmm. Quote, there is still a lot of work to be done. Many don't agree with the Supreme Court's decision. It is now our duty to explain why it was important to change this law. Homophobia and hypocrisy must be decimated. End quote. And so the work continues. And for the very last time, Rachel Jean Craig and listeners, that is the introduction to the world's first openly gay prince, Menvendra Singh Gohill. Wow, Jared, thank you for sharing that story with me. I am really thrilled that you picked that one because it was nice to hear about some of the historical origins and the context surrounding this story, but also to know that As we close our little project, there are so many people continuing to do such great work all Mm -hmm. over the world. And I am so appreciative that you told me that. You're so very welcome. And yeah, like you're saying, I think it's important that we remember as we go forward that there's still a lot of work to do. There's a lot that we can do. It never ends. It's going to be a constant fight. I mean, in every country around the world, pretty much 
queer rights and women's rights mm-hmm. and people of color's rights are always, you know, a little bit shaky depending on what government party is in control mm-hmm. or how things are going. So, yeah, it's just a little reminder that as we continue, when Rachel and I, our voices aren't telling. When we depart into the void. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When we're no longer speaking into your ear holes as you're driving to work or going on a walk or doing laundry, that it's important to continue doing the work. Do what you can. Mm-hmm. Stay safe. Yeah. Keep it going. You know, just continue fighting. Yeah. Because fighting for your rights and the rights of people around you is just like a dishwasher. There's always going to be more dishes to do. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have to fill that dishwasher. You're always going to have to empty mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's just you got to keep. It's one of those things mm-hmm. that will always be permanent. Mm-hmm. So and so fill it up. We, Put that Fill it up. put that Tide Pod in there or whatever you use to wash. <laughs> don't put a Tide Pod in <laughs> okay, your dishwasher. Don't put a Tide Pod, put put a tide a, pod in your dishwasher. Put in a cascade yeah, put it, platinum. Cascade <laughs> platinum. Put in a cascade platinum, not sponsored, into and, your dishwasher. And run that and shit. Run that cycle. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. Don't take your foot off the gas, my friends, because yeah. there is always going to be work that we can be doing. So look out for who you can be supporting when you can. Exactly. Thanks for tuning in to episode 49 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about a gay prince. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes having a podcast a little bit more fun. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And to see photos from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at Historically Really. We hope to see you again next week for our final wrap-up episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.